We're in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 9 tonight. 1 Samuel chapter 9, where Saul is chosen to be king. So let's open in a word of prayer and then we'll uh, get started. Father, we thank you for our time tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can gather here and uh, read your word and and apply it to our lives. And Lord, pray that your Holy Spirit would give us insight and wisdom as we uh, look at this text of Scripture, see how your providence in our lives just uh, runs through every crevice and every crack. And we just thank you for that. And Lord, we pray for those who can make it out tonight. We pray that you would just minister your grace to them. Look forward to our time tonight. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, tonight we're in First uh, Samuel chapter nine. We we've ended chapter eight, remember, with uh, the life of Samuel, and now we're starting kind of the the next section of this book, and uh, it's going to be dealing with the rise and the fall of uh, Saul. Remember, last time we met, we went through chapter eight, and we were talking about be careful what you ask for, because you may get it when you, when you speak to God. And so in, in chapter 8, Israel was asking God for a king just like all the other nations had. They wanted a king. God wasn't pleased with their request, because obviously he was supposed to be their king. And uh, they said, no, we want to be like all the other nations. So he chose to answer their prayer request anyways. And sometimes when we pray for things, we think we know what we're praying for when we really don't. And sometimes God grants those requests, even though it may not be the best thing for us. So we ended with that. And uh, one of the lessons you know, we learned, as I said, is be careful what you ask God for, because you might just get it. When we left First Samuel the last time, the people were asking God for a king, and God was not pleased. But now we finally find out what gets to happen here. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 9, I'll just read through the uh, first five verses, and we'll read through the rest as we go through the, the passage together. But uh, you can follow along in, in 1 Samuel chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zeor, uh, son of Bekaroth, son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a man of wealth, and he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man, man, and there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul his son, Take one of the young men with you, one of the servants, and arise, go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalim, but they were not there. And they passed through the land of Benjamin, but they did not find them. Verse 5, when they came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant, who was with him, come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. So that's just kind of the introductory thing rather than read through the whole chapter. We'll read through it when we go through it. But when you look at that, you can look at this chapter in a couple different ways. Because what we're going to see as we go through this chapter is we're going to see God's hand of providence involved in this whole situation. To the nth degree, it's just going to be really neat how, how you see God plan all this out. And um, you can look at it at two different levels. First of all, in the bigger picture, God is preparing a way for who? For the coming of, of Christ, right? Ultimately through the whole line of David. That's what he's ultimately doing as far as the, the big picture goes. He's providing a way where king can have kingship in or Israel or Christ can have kingship in Israel and so he's preparing a whole line of kings through whom Christ the king of kings will eventually be born but then you can also you know even understand on a smaller level 
as you look at it, you know, kind of more down on our level, God is also working even in Saul's life in a very special way, in a very providential way. And even though Saul is ultimately not God's man, God will give him every chance and every opportunity to shine as Israel's first king. And so as you look at God working in in the life of Saul, we're going to see that we can learn some pretty important principles, important truths, you might say, um, about how God works in each of our lives as well. It's just, it just kind of applies right over across the board to us. Uh, sometimes we think God is just working in the big, spectacular moments of our life, you know, the day we got saved and all this stuff. Somebody experienced God supernaturally healing them at one point or maybe ex- experienced one of their loved ones coming to Christ and it's this big spiritual mountaintop and we think, wow, God is just working. But this, this chapter shows us that God is he's demonstrating that he is at work in every little ordinary detail of our lives, not just the big things. And sometimes we just relegate God to the big things. And so let's look at this, and I think the first thing we see here in verses 1 through 14, we read the first five verses, but we're going to read all of them uh, as we go through this passage, we see God's guiding hand. We see God's hand of guidance involved here. And so verse 1 to 14 sets this scene for us. And at first glance, you know, I put there, I think I put on the outline, uh, searching for donkeys or something, because it seems so abstract. You know, it's like, what are you talking about? But that's what he, he includes. You know, God supernaturally included this, this search for these donkeys. And you're thinking, what in the world? Who cares? Okay, they lost some donkeys. <laughs> you know, what's that have to do with the big picture here? But really, it sets this foundation, it sets this scene, because at, at first glance, you look at it, and it's, it's such an ordinary, even maybe frustrating day for Saul and his servant, who go out searching for these donkeys everywhere, and they can't find them. His dad sends them out, because they, you know, donkeys were something that the family, it's, it's an investment, just like anything else. So it was, it was vital that they find these things. And, and when you first read this, you say, why would God include such an ordinary, weird thing, trivial thing, event, like this, in this, this passage? What's so important about looking for donkeys? Well, we're going to see, and the first point here is that God is at work in your family background. In your family background. You know, we didn't get to choose into what family we were born. That's not our choice. In verses 1 and 2, it gives us kind of a, a little foundation, a little background of Saul's background. Uh, it says there was a, a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish. That was his father. And it, it basically goes th- walks us through this, this principle that God is at work in our family background. We all have a history. We all have a family background that we've brought, been brought into. It may have been good. You may have good memories. You may have bad memories. It's irrelevant. The point is, is that God had you born into that family for a purpose. It's not by accident. It wasn't happenstance. It wasn't a coincidence. Uh, if you look over at, in Acts, Acts chapter, just hold your place in First Samuel, Acts chapter 17, it, it speaks a little more about this. Acts 17 And if you just begin in verse 24 with me, and I'll just read down through 26, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it, Acts 17, verse 24, uh, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind, what, life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, and then look at what it says. Having a determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he actually is actually not far from each of us. For in him we live and we move and we have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, we are indeed his offspring. And this is Paul 
addressing all the, the, the pagan gods there and, and, and all that. But the point here is that God has placed us in our families for a reason, for a purpose. And uh, he's using those circumstances, whatever they may be, uh, to bring about purposes in your life. Uh, sometimes I, I question, you know, okay, why, did, why was I born into a family where our mother would die when I was three and my dad would die when I was seven? <laughs> you know, I mean, I didn't even really know him, so I couldn't really miss him. And so there's nothing, you know, it's not like regretful that way, but I'm thinking, why would that happen? Well, God had a purpose. God had a plan. And we have to always remind ourselves of that. And so in the same way, Saul here in our passage doesn't just appear out of nowhere is the point. All right, he has a family background too. And that's what it says here. There was this Benjamin standing, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, Abiel, son of Zeor, Zezor, the son of Bechorath, the son of Aphia, of Benjamin, and he had this son named Saul. <laughs> so it gives a family history. He was a very impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, taller than any of the other ones. By that passage, we can say, you know what? This was a pretty affluent family. This guy, Kish, Saul's father, was a man of, of it tells us, standing in the community. It becomes clear from the passage that they were wealthy. They owned donkeys. They owned servants. He was an important person in the community. Saul came from the tribe of Benjamin, it says. And, and Benjamin was one of the smallest tribes, by the way. It, it was right on the border of Judah and between the, the northern and the southern tribes there. And so Saul's family background really contributed to his, even his physical appearance. It tells us that he was a, he not only came from an impressive family, but he was impressive, what, in his appearance, right? He was a big guy. He was tall. A head taller than all the others. Probably made the basketball team when he was in high school. All right. Gordon, commentator, says this. He says, if a king is to be distinguished by his physical appearance, then Saul is every inch a king. So Saul is everything Israel would want in a king. And you know what? God knew that. But as we see, he is not what God wanted for them, which is why it's not going to work out (laughs) in the end. That's why we're talking about the rise and fall of Saul. Okay, And so... It's, it's important for us to realize that, that God is at work in our family background. Not only that, but God is at work in verses 3 and 4. In, and this is kind of a, a blessing to me anyway. He's also at work in interruptions and setbacks in our lives. God is involved in that. There's a purpose for those things. Those little irritating things that happen that seem at the time they're just a major interruption, a major problem whatever it might be. And if you look at verses 3 and 4, now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to his son, take one of the young men, one of the servants with you, arise and go and look for the donkeys. And, you know, Saul's probably thinking, really, Dad, me? Why me? You know, as he passed through the hill country of Ephraim, he passed through the, the land of uh, uh, so Shalisha, but they did not find him. They passed through the land of uh, Shalim, and they still didn't find him. They passed through the land of Benjamin, but they did not find him. So here's Paul. His dad gives him one thing to do. He even gives him a helper. And he can't even complete the task. He can't even do it. He's set off on this fruitless mission looking for lost donkeys in the the hill countries of Ephraim. Him and his servant traveled all over the place looking for these crazy donkeys. They couldn't find them. Ask yourself, do you ever face times in your life where you think it's just an interruption it's a setback in our minds we're thinking this should not be happening to me right now okay sometimes maybe it's daily in your life i don't know how hectic your life is but you know what it should be encouraging to us as believers to know that god is at work even in those those interruptions in those setbacks he's at work 
Saul thought he was just out there with his servant guy looking for donkeys. But you know what? God's guiding hand was at work in his life. And that's always important to remember. The third thing here is that God is at work in the people he has placed around you. He's not only at work in your circumstances, he's not only at work in your family background, but he's actually at work, he's using the people God has strategically placed around you. Look at verse 5. It says, when they reached the district of Zuf, Saul said to the servant who was with him, come on, let's go back or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys. I don't know if that was hopeful thinking or not on his part and start worrying about us. Okay, we can't find these crazy donkeys. We don't want dad to get, get upset and think we're lost too. So let's just go home. Verse six, but the servant replied, look, in this town, I know that there's a man of God. He's highly respected. And everything he says comes true. So the servant says, you know, let's go there now. Let's, maybe he knows where the donkeys are. <laughs> he can tell us which way to go to find these crazy donkeys. So at least we don't have to go home with our tail between our legs. And we can say, hey, Pops, we found the donkeys. So Saul realizes, all right, if you're going to go and you're going to talk to this, it's called a seer or a prophet in this town, <clears throat> that it's respectful to take something. You don't just like barge in and say, hey, you know, give us this information. So in verse 7, Saul said to the servant, if we go, what can we give the man? Our food and our sacks is gone. We don't have anything left to give him. We don't have any food. We don't have any bread. Uh, if we have no gift to take to the man of God, what do we have? Well, look at what happens. The servant answers him again. Look, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. We do have something. Not a whole lot, but we got something. I will give it to the man of God so that he will tell us which way to take. So once again, Saul thinks there's a roadblock put up, but it's taken care of. It says in verse 9, it kind of, this is like a parenthetical statement. It says, formerly in Israel, if a man went to inquire of God, he would say, come, let us go to the seer. It's just another name for the prophet or the man of God, because the prophet of today used to be called a seer. And so Saul says, good, to the servant, come, let's go. And so they sent out for the town where the man of God was. Now, at this point, it's not hard to understand that Saul, before this little conversation, was kind of frustrated. <laughs> he was discouraged. He's out there searching all over the place for these crazy donkeys. They can't find them. And he's ready to what? He's ready to just give up, say, you know, forget it. Let's just go home. But the servant, this guy who's with him, suggests that they go and they visit this town and uh, ask this prophet or this seer, um, maybe maybe they, they can help us out. And even when Saul objects and says, we don't have anything to give this guy, you know, we can't just march in there empty-handed, once again, the, the servant comes through. He has some money stashed away that they can use for payment. And so the servant makes the right suggestion. He has the necessary resources for the journey to continue. But you know what? It's not really the servant. It's just as God has planned. This is all the planning of God that went on kind of behind the scenes here. It's easy sometimes to stop and to wonder, why, God, did you allow this person to cross my path? But you know what? God has a purpose. He has a plan. God is at work in the people that he's placed around you. In verse 11, we see the fourth thing here. God is at work in the timing of events. This is just miraculous we saw some of this when we went through the uh resurrection sunday and all that and, and and talked a little bit about god's you know providential care i mean you know when they when they went in and they said hey go to this place and you'll find a cult and you'll you know all that's going to be taken care of by god he planned all that out ahead of time when jesus rode into uh, jerusalem we well, see the same thing here because it's the same god and this is how god works in our lives as well that everything is planned, everything is timed out. And so it says in verse 11, as they were going up, to the, up the hill to the town, they met some girls coming out to draw water. All right, they'd usually go outside of the town to find a spring, and they would draw the water, and they'd carry it back in. And they asked the girls, is the seer here, or the prophet here, the man of God here? Verse 12, he is, they answered. As a matter of fact, 
He's ahead of you. Hurry now. He has just come to our town today, for the people have a sacrifice at the high place. So this, this prophet just happened to be in town for this, because they were having this, this uh, sacrifice going on. And so in verse 13, it says, As soon as you enter the town, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. The people will not begin eating until he comes. That's a way of saying, you know, if you catch him, you're, you're going to get some food too. <laughs> you know, just hang with him. You'll be good. Because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterwards, it says, those who are invited will eat. Go up now and you'll find him about this time. Verse 14. So they went up to the town. And as they were entering, guess what? There was Samuel coming toward them on his way to the high place. So they're just wandering into this town. They, you know, going up the hill to the town. They just happened to meet these girls who were coming out to draw water at the exact same time they were coming into town. They asked the girls, hey, is there a seer here? Is there a prophet here? The girls were able to give them exact instructions, not only to why the guy was here, but exactly where they could find him and when. And it turns out that the seer just arrived there just, just then. And so Saul and his servants have been out looking for these crazy donkeys in the hill country for three days. And yet the timing is what? It's perfect. It's perfect. You know what this helps me with? This helps me when I'm driving my car. <laughs> and I'm on the freeway. And all of a sudden the traffic is stopped. And I have to be somewhere. And I start to run, oh, this is irritating, you know, why am I stuck in traffic? I should, is there another way? When, and there isn't, and you just got to sit there. Very frustrating. But you know what? I always fall back on, you know what? For some reason, God doesn't want me to get to my exit at the time I would have gotten to it if this traffic would have just been clear. Who knows why? I have the slightest idea why. But for some reason, I'm stuck in traffic. And God knows it. And he's okay with it, even though the appointment I'm going to or whatever might be important, he's okay with it because he's not allowing this traffic to move. See, that, that, that kind of thinking helps you when you realize, you know what? Hey, yeah, we can make plans. We can plan out our day and everything. But really, ultimately, it's what? It's up to God. His timing is perfect in every way. I mean, think about it. If they would have arrived one day earlier... Guess what? No prophet, no seer, no man of God, nothing. Um, or it may have been too late. Uh, it was the exact right time to meet this person, Samuel. And it just happens to be Samuel, which is pretty amazing in and of itself. And he happens to walk up to them at the exact time they enter the city. <laughs> so you see all these things just kind of going, wow, just meshing together perfectly. And not only that, but they are right on time for this special feast that they have no idea what's going on. And remember, Saul just told them, told his servant, hey, we, we're out of food. Right? They've been wandering for three days. They're out of food. Guess what? God knows they need something to eat. <laughs> so he's provided a feast for them. I mean, it's amazing. And sometimes the, the timing in of events in our lives seems off by our perspective. We look at things and go, oh, why did it have to happen this way? Everything may seem just amiss. You feel like you're waiting forever for things to finally gel and come together. Um, but you know what? God is working that timing out perfectly. You know, I remember when I was single. I didn't get married until I was 33. And I remember when I was single, I was serving at First Baptist Church in Fremont. And we had several pastors that I worked with there, and they were just constantly harping on me to get married. I mean, if we had a guest singer and she was single, you know, I mean, you know, and you know I don't like that kind of attention. Oh, they knew it too, and they just piled it on, man. I mean, I'd sit up there because, you know, Baptist church, you know, you had to sit in the front. You know, you'd walk down and you'd sit in the front on the platform. And then if the singer would come up, they'd come up and, you know, the pastor would be sitting there elbowing me, you know, <laughs> stop, you know. I'm turning red. I feel myself perspiring. 
you know, and that wasn't good enough. He'd get in front of the whole congregation. And uh, by the way, Kathy, or whatever this girl's name would be, did you know our youth pastor is single? You know, he's a great catch. He's just on and on for like five, ten minutes. And I'd just be wanting to yell and scream and get out of there. But that went on forever. And, you know, I remember one time somebody asked me, you know, you, know, you really need to get married because... You know, your ministry is going to be so limited if you're not married and blah, blah, blah. I said, I, I, I'm open to it. I'm just, you know, it's, I'm sure God has it figured out. And there was a time in my life when I thought, okay, I'm just going to be like the Apostle Paul. I'll be single and not have to worry about the marriage thing at all. Um, but you know what? God had a plan and he had a purpose. And I can't imagine looking back and trying to make the things that God had to bring together for our marriage, which would be 25 years. I know a lot of you have a lot more of it, but that's 25 years means a lot. Um, and, and, you know, it's just a lot of things that were, were woven together in God's providence. And we all see that in our lives. And so, you know, God's timing is perfect. It's always perfect. Uh, so they get this feast on top of everything else. And um, sometimes our timing is off, but God's timing, it's never off. It's never off. It's right on time. I was just um, thinking of that today when uh, Crystal was telling me, you know, Will's up for Master Chief again, and it happens every year. But um, So they were kind of nervous because they said, well, they don't know how many selections there are going to be this year. You know, last year there was only three, I think. Um, or six or something, but this year there's two. <laughs> so the odds are even worse that he would ever get picked because he's just too young for that. But um, but you never know. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, what a glorious thing if he did, <laughs> you know? And there was only two selected, and he was one of them. But um, they're not thinking of it that way. But But God is at work in our family background. God is at work in the interruptions, in the setbacks in our life. He's at work in the people around us that he puts around us strategically. Uh, and God is at work in the perfect timing of events in our lives. Even though it seems very mundane, it may seem very ordinary, in a lot of ways, uh, God is involved in even that. Uh, just like he was involved in Saul going out to look for some donkeys that were lost. Uh, his hand was guiding them all along. Well, in verse 15... We jumped kind of the next thing here, and it's, it's almost verses uh, 15 to, to uh, 17 kind of gives us a peek behind the scenes. Because if you read verse 14, um, you can almost jump right down to uh, verse 18. In verse 14, it says, So they went up to the city. As they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way to the high place. And it just jumped down to 18. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate. See, it just reads like, a, it's like the other verses shouldn't even be there. It's, like, it's almost like a parenthetical statement. It's, it's like God is saying, here, I want to give you a little glimpse of what I've been doing behind the scenes. Just, just so you can trust me. Just so you know that I'm at work when even you don't see it. Um, And remember, we're talking about God's providence here. We're talking about his plans in our lives. And so this gives us a little peek about uh, behind the scenes. It shows us how how God is involved in our lives. First of all, in verse 15, we see that God's plan precedes your present circumstances. Look at verse 15. Now, the day before Saul came... Isn't that interesting? The day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel. So before Saul even gets there, right, God communicates to his servant Samuel. And this is where we get the idea, God's plan precedes your present circumstances. Saul had no idea what was going on. And even Samuel didn't even, wouldn't even know unless God told him. Uh... Don't ever think that your life works this way. Your life does not work. Okay, you do something. Maybe you get yourself in a bind or a jam. And then God's up in heaven going, Oh, man, what'd you do that for? Oh, we got to figure out. What are we going to do to help this guy out down there? That's not how it works. 
That's not how our lives work. You know, that's how we logically think they work, but that's not how they work. Because here in verse 16, you see that, or in verse 15, you see that God reveals to Samuel, even the day before, what's going to happen. I mean, Saul and his servant just thought, hey, you know what? We're just out looking for donkeys. But before they ever even got to this town, God had already revealed his will, his desire to Samuel. Um, You know, you might be wondering in your own heart what's going on in, in the present moment in your life right now. It could be a moment of blessing. It could be a moment of chaos. It could be whatever in between. How did I get here? Where do I go next? You know what? Take heart. Trust in God. God's plan always precedes your present circumstances. And you can trust him to lead you to the next step. He'll always do that. And this is exactly what he does. Look at verse 16. God's plan is bigger than you. Look at verse 16. Tomorrow about this time, he tells Samuel, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. And you shall appoint him to be prince over my people. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. So what does God do here? God tells Samuel, basically, that, you know what? I understand they want a king, and I'm going to give them one. Uh, he's, he's sending him a man to anoint, because that's who would do it, anoint him king over Israel. That was Samuel's role. And so, remember, in chapter 8, what did Samuel try to do? He tried to talk the people out of it, right? Hey, you know, the king's going to take advantage of you. king's going to do this. king's going to take your servants. They're going to take your land. They're going to take everything. You know, you're going to be subservient to your king. That's what a king does. But that's what they wanted. And God said, hey, let them have it. God had bigger plans than just looking for donkeys. Uh, Saul's servant thought he was just along for the ride with Saul to go look for these crazy donkeys. But God had a bigger plan. The servant girls who were out drawing water, they thought, ah, we're just going to get some water. But you know what? God had a bigger plan. See, God's plan is bigger than you or I. Um, And in this case, Saul's case, God is preparing a king for Israel to answer their national prayer. This is what they were praying for. They wanted a king. If you look at verse 16, if you just go through there and count the times uh, down, it says, And you shall anoint him to be a prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the land of the Philistines. For I have seen my people because of their cry. Three times he emphasizes that, you know what? These are my people. And uh, this, this plan included the whole nation of Israel. And it even included their deliverance from the Philistines. You notice that. He tells Samuel, and this guy's going to deliver him from the Philistines. So neither Saul, nor even his, his servant, his helper there, nor the girls, no, nobody knew anything about this. This is all like a peek behind the, the curtain, you might say. Saul just thought he was out looking for some donkeys, but what was God doing? God was building his kingdom. God's plan is bigger than you or I. And thirdly here, God will tell you what you need to know when you need it. God will tell you what you need to know when you need it. Look at verse 17. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him. He sees this guy, and the Lord says, hey, this is the man whom I spoke to you about. He's the one who shall restrain my people. So immediately, God provides this information to Samuel. You know, he didn't let Saul walk by Samuel. He said, hey, you know, heads up, this is the guy. Get ready. God told him exactly what he needed to know when he needed to know it. And God will do the same thing for us. Sometimes I know that, you know, when people go out and they evangelize and they, they seek to share Christ with people, they get nervous and they, I don't know what, I don't think I know what to say. What if, what if they ask me a question? What if, 
trust the Lord. Just trust the Lord. The worst possible thing that could happen when you're sharing Christ with somebody is they ask you a question and you don't know the answer. And you know what you say? That's a very good question. I don't know. (laughs) I say that all the time. (laughs) And you know what? People respect that. Because at least you're not trying to make up something. You know, you're not trying to play, you know, a shell game with them. But then you can go right back to the gospel. See, people, and, and that's, that's the thing here is that God will tell us what we need to know and even what we need to say when we need to say it or when we need to know it. And unfortunately, we're human beings, and what do we want? We always want the information up front, don't we? We want to know how it's going to go down. You've got to realize that, you know what, God sometimes puts us in those circumstances to realize, you know what, I'll take care of you. I'll give you the knowledge you need. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the words you need to say. We can take comfort in knowing that God will tell us what we need to do when we need to do it. We don't need to freak out about it. And if we're freaking out about it, then we probably don't need to make the decision at that time if we don't have clear direction from God. You know, it's important to realize in this story that Samuel did not choose Saul as their king. Who did? God. God did. Samuel was just the middleman. He was just, you know, God's servant during his part. Uh, in chapter 8, the people came to Samuel asking God for a king. In chapter 9, God answered their prayer by bringing, bringing Saul to Samuel. And God said, send Saul to Samuel, and God prepares Samuel for Saul's arrival in advance. Samuel didn't choose Saul as king. God did. Saul's case, obviously, is a special case. He's going to be what? He's going to be the first king of Israel. But God's providence is not just for someone like the first king of Israel. It's for us as well as his children, is it not? Proverbs 16.9 tells us this. In his heart a man plans, Proverbs 16.9, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord, what, determines his steps. The Lord determines his steps. God's providence extends to each one of us. God is working out his plan for your life, even though you don't even know what it is yet. Sometimes we don't understand God's plan. That's okay. Usually that's the way it's supposed to be. Because if we understood God's plan fully, we would what? We would be God, would we not? Proverbs twenty twenty four says this, A man's steps are directed by the Lord. How can anyone understand his own way? In other words, how are you supposed to understand? You don't have God's knowledge. You don't have God's uh, wisdom. You don't have God's omniscience. I mean, you just, we don't have that. God sees the whole picture. We only see a part. It's kind of, if you, if you picture yourself in the middle of a jungle and you're on a raft on a river, this windy river back and forth, back and forth, you know, you don't know what's around the next bend. But you have a spotter plane up in the air and they see, you know, three bends from now, you're going to go over a waterfall. They have a radio and they're able to tell you, hey, you, know, you need to get out of that raft because in about a half mile, you're going to be going over a very big cliff. How can they see that? Because they're way up here. They see the whole thing. See, that's, that's what God is to us. God sees the beginning from the end completely. He transcends time. There's no tomorrow with God. There's no yesterday with God. It's all like now, which we can't understand. You know, that's what makes it incredible that, that God ha- even has a relationship with us because he is so much above who we are. He created us. And so these verses not only show us the the details of this story, but they're really essential to understanding the meaning of it. Because a lot of times we don't get the opportunity to peek behind the scenes of our own life, do we? You know, sometimes we do. You know, I've had circumstances where, you know, wow, that was really cool how that worked out. And then three days later, you're talking to somebody and they're telling you, yeah, you know, God just put it on my heart to, to give you a call. And that was part of the whole thing. It was just, you know, and you stand back and you just go, wow, that was amazing. 
You know, we've all been through experiences like that. But we usually don't get to see behind that curtain. We don't get to see the, the whole story, including God's perspective. But he included that here for us to help us build our trust in who God is and how he cares for us, how he's working out his plan continuously. And one day, can't wait till that day comes, but one day we're going to see how it all works together. Wow, why was I born in this family? Why did my mother pass away when I was seven? Why did, you know, I didn't get married till I was 33? Why this? Why that? And it's all going to fit. It's all going to be perfect. And you're going to go, wow, amazing. It's kind of like putting a puzzle together, isn't it? You know, at first it just looks like all this this mess. And then slowly you keep working on it and you get the pieces. And, and you know, sometimes there's pieces missing. And you get the thing almost together and it's like, ah, you've got to be kidding me. It's frustrating. That never happens with God. All the pieces are there. He's perfectly timed everyone to go in its place at the proper time. And when you see the full picture of the puzzle put together, you go, wow, now that makes sense. Now that makes perfect sense. Because God is in control of all these things. Well, in verses 18 to 24, the last thing, it talks about this divine appointment. We come to the last passage here. It's a divine appointment that God has set between Samuel and in Saul. And there's basically two things here that we can learn. First of all, in verses 18 to 21, look at those verses. It says in verse 18, then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, tell me, where is the house of the seer? I mean, it's almost comedic. He's walking up to the seer. Hey, by the way, you know, I mean, it's just like God's got a sense of humor. And uh, verse 19, Samuel answers Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me. And I'm sure they both kind of like raise their eyebrows. Hey, we get food out of this deal. That's pretty good. Because they're hungry, right? They haven't eaten. Um, And in the morning, I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. That could be good or bad, (laughs) depending on what's on your mind, I guess. But verse 20 says, as for your donkeys... (laughs) They didn't tell him anything about the donkeys, right? God is supernaturally working through Samuel here. And it really shows us that God's plan is often different than ours. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, don't even worry about it. Don't set your mind on them. For they've been found. They're taken care of. I mean, can't you just see Samuel and Saul looking at each other like, whoa. So Saul comes to Samuel to ask him about the donkeys, but he never gets the opportunity. Before he ever even says a word, Samuel says, hey, they're already found, and go go fill up. Let's go to the feast. In other words, don't worry about the donkeys. Another way to think of it, it's not about the donkeys. The donkeys aren't even important in this story, but God used it, all right? And sometimes there's things in our lives that we're searching for. And we're not finding it. It's not fitting together the way we think. They can't find the donkeys. And finally Samuel goes, it's not, don't worry about the donkeys. They're like the side issue. That's not even important. They're already found, as a matter of fact. Don't worry about it. It brought them together. God used it for his purpose. And see, sometimes in our own life, we get so, we, we get kind of tunnel vision. We get focused on one thing that we're looking for or we want or whatever. And you know what? It paralyzes us. When I was single, I swore that would never happen to me. I did not. I, I, I had talked to other guys from college or whatever, and you know, I went to a, a college. It was named Christian Heritage College, and they called it Christian Marriage College. That's what. So you know, when I first went there, they, oh, you'll be married here in three years. You know, no, don't worry. Well, I wasn't, and I wasn't really looking to get married. I, you know, I was content being single at that time. And I remember um, friends, roommates, and others who weren't married by the time they graduated Christian Marriage College and uh, work on their MRS degree, they said. But, you know, and it was just like they were beside themselves. Like, what am I going to do? Oh, my, I'm trying to go into ministry and I don't have a wife. Hey, God's got it under control. You know, it's not a big deal. Got to work it out. But I, I, I've seen people get so stressed out about things like that. And we have to stop and we have to realize, you know what? God's plan is often different than ours. 
It wasn't time. I wasn't mature and near mature enough to be married at that point in my life. And so, you know, uh, one commentator said that would be a good phrase for a t-shirt. It's not about the donkeys. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that be a conversation starter with people? Then you could tell them what this is about. Um, but so Samuel tells Saul here, in the morning I'm going to let you go and tell you everything that's on your mind or in your heart. We're, we're never given that conversation. We, we don't know what went on in that conversation. Who knows? Because uh, we're never told. Uh, but God knew it because he knows everything. And God confirmed that he knew it through Samuel, which is even a more important thing. And, and God knows our own plans. God knows what our desires are, what, what our, the desires of our hearts are. He knows uh, what's in our heart. Some of it is good, and it lines up with God's will. Some of it's bad, and it, it, it needs to be laid aside. But God knows it all. And I, I, I pray that that's encouraging to you because ultimately his plan is probably different than yours well it goes on here in verse 20 Samuel goes on to tell Saul in verse 20 there be he says and for and for whom is all that is desirable in Israel is it not for you and for and for all your father's house Saul answered am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? In other words, he's saying, I don't know who you're talking to here, but I'm from this rinky-dinky little tribe. I'm nobody. And it's not my clan, the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why have you spoken to me this way? In other words, he's saying, Samuel, I think you got the wrong guy. That's what he's saying. He's saying, it doesn't make sense. Who, me? And, and, And so Samuel says, all the desire of Israel was turned to Saul and his family. In other words, this is you know, kind of language of a king. That's what he's pointing out here. Israel desired a king, and now Samuel reveals that this desire will be fulfilled in Saul. And, you know, he's not ready for this. I mean, he's still wondering about the donkeys, probably. I mean, I don't know. He, you know, he's just caught off guard. And so he starts making excuses. I'm from Benjamin. We're a tiny tribe. It's the smallest one. And Saul pulls the the Benjamin card twice in these verses, not knowing that God had already told Samuel that he was sending someone from that tribe. See, it was all fitting together, and Saul didn't even understand it. He He was protesting God's plan. And yet, his protest, ironically, really was confirmation that God's plan was right all the time. And that's the first thing you learn here in these, these couple verses, that God's plan is often different than ours. Second thing here is God's plan is always, always <laughs> better than ours. God's plan is always better than ours. Look at verses uh, 22 to 24. Then Samuel took Saul and his young man, and he brought them into the hall and gave them a, a place at the head of those who had been invited who were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion I gave you, of which I said to you, put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, see what was kept is set before you. Eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. What's he given? He's given this place, this seat of honor. He's given this special, you know, he's given the filet, basically, is in, in our vernacular. Uh, he's given the choice piece of meat. It was set aside for him. Uh, this whole feast was basically called in his honor. It's just amazing how God works. Because Samuel said there, I've invited guests. I don't know what God's plan is for you. You don't know what God's plan is for me. We may not always be seated in the place of honor or get the best filet or the best portion of meat. But you know what? There's a verse in Jeremiah 29, 11, and I know this applies to Israel. I get that, but we can apply it to us as well. Because it says, for I know the plans I have 
for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Yeah, originally that was written to Israel and it applies directly to them, but it can also be applied to us as believers. If we're in Christ, God is at work in our lives in a way that we, we don't even have a minutia of understanding about. And he's involved in our lives for his glory, for his good. And so God's plan is often different than ours, but God's plan is always, always better than ours. So when you think your life is just ordinary and your day-to-day events don't mean a whole lot, sometimes you get discouraged with the interruptions or maybe the distractions or the frustrations, the setbacks, whatever they may be. Sometimes you may even feel like you're walking in circles, you're not going anywhere. Your life just looks like you're looking for a bunch of donkeys. (laughs) That's what Saul thought. But he was part of something much bigger. And so are we. Uh, God wants to use us. We're part of his kingdom. And so we shouldn't get uh, discouraged. We shouldn't be discouraged by the continual grind, by the setbacks that we face. uh, Because Christ died for you. He died for myself because we are very special to him. And um, he desires to carry out his will in our lives. He wants us involved in this process. God is at work in the ordinary details of our lives. So make it our goal to serve and to glorify God where he has strategically placed us, wherever that may be. Father, we just thank you for your word tonight. And Lord, we just pray that you would... um, Encourage us, Lord, by your providential hand leading us and guiding us in life. And Lord, as we go through the times of blessing and the times that maybe are frustration and, and uh, times where we just feel like things aren't coming together the way we want them to. Lord, I pray that we would take faith and, and trust in the fact that you are, you are still in control of this. And you are allowing things into our lives that may be a little uncomfortable for us at the time, but they're for our good. And you have a plan and a purpose for them. And so we just pray that you would continue to lead us and guide us. Help us to continue to serve you, um, even in the way uh, Samuel did. Just not knowing all the details, but having to wait for you to reveal these details moment by moment. And Lord, uh, it's okay to plan and to to, to have a, a purpose and, and to really have an agenda. But, Lord, we also have to be willing to surrender that agenda to you uh, because we know that you're sovereign over all these things. So we just pray you'd give us a good remainder of the week. Take us safely home tonight. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.